Hi, this is Varun Haran, Principal Correspondent with Information Security Media Group in Asia. I am with Sahir Hidayatullah, who is the CEO at Smokescreen, one of the pioneers in deception technologies and active defense. And we are going to be speaking about how a paradigm shift is required in security today in terms of how a practitioner needs to think the way an attacker does and bring in offensive defense or use deception to their advantage and use the human element against the attacker. Sahir is a pioneer in doing this and he's going to be helping us out with some insights on how he sees this developing and how it got to where it is today. Hi, Sahir. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Varun. It's increasingly being recognized that security is a problem you can't throw money at or throw tools at. So, you know, what would you say in your experience, and you've been in this space for a whole decade, more than a decade now, in your experience, why are attackers winning today? And why is it so hard to catch an attack today? I think there are three broad reasons. The first is the lack of offensive thinking. I think you raised a very valid point about uh, a paradigm shift in security thinking. I think the primary challenge that organizations have today is not the tools that they have. Most organizations have a number of tools to detect attacks, modern attacks, but they're not actually using them appropriately because they're not thinking offensively. And I think that's something which you mentioned, which is very pertinent. And it's probably something that people should internalize. The modern defense does not know how to think offensively. Your pen test team knows how to think offensively. The second is the tremendous number of false positives that current systems generate. So the typical attack gets caught in the system. You'll find it in your SIM and post-mortem and forensics. But there are so many false positive alerts at the time of the attack that you miss it. So that's the second one. And the third is too much focus on attacker tools. We're too busy worrying about what malware the attacker is using or what exploit the guy is using. These three things um, are probably the, the, the reason the attackers are winning. One, because if you can't think offensively, the attacker is always going to be a step ahead of you. You have a static defense. The second, if you can't catch the events that you need to, you can't prioritize the alerts, you're going to miss the attack going on. And the third, if you're focused on his tools, he can change his tools very easily. He can change IP addresses very easily. He can change malware very easily. In fact, 60% of attacks today don't even use malware, whereas most defenders are still focused on things like sandboxing. Right. So traditional strategies that are being used today and the whole defensive perimeter kind of mindset that still exists, which is recognized as legacy, but there's no alternative available to change from it. So what can you tell me about how the legacy way of thinking is now leading to a false sense of security? I think what we're doing is we're actually stealing things that worked from the past. We're stealing from two places. We're stealing from traditional military security. Deception has played a key part in every major military campaign since the dawn of time. And there's a reason why. It's worked for Napoleon. It's worked for Sun Tzu. It's worked for Genghis Khan. There's no reason why it won't work in cybersecurity. It's just the adversaries and the battleground is different. So we're borrowing a lot from what's called MILDEC, military deception. And the second thing we're borrowing from is the traditional concept of the honeypot. The traditional honeypot, which came up in around the 80s when Cliff Stoll wrote his book called The cuckoo's egg. He actually at Bell Labs uh, tracked a Russian hacker using honeypots, one of the first you know, public instances of a computer security honeypot. But like you rightly said, the evolution of security was that we forgot about honeypots and we went for perimeter security. We said, okay, let's lock every door down. Let's put up the firewall. Let's build that crunchy exterior. That didn't work out. What we're proposing now is a rethinking in the way the organization is defended. You basically deploy deception everywhere and you don't worry so much about the perimeter. In a modern organization, large enough organization, there will be an initial breach always. You have to assume compromise will occur and you have to stop the attacker from that initial breach till business impact. That's what decoys and deceptions and modern honeypots, enterprise ready honeypots can actually do for you.
All right. So before we get into honeypots and the kind of evolution they've seen over time, speak to me a little bit about what is the business case to a security practitioner today? Or what are the benefits a practitioner can have by using deception technology? Sure. Uh, the first one is low false positives. So you can actually have alerts which are so accurate that you can receive a phone call. Instead of saying 17,000 alerts, 85% plus false positives, which are typically what you have now, you're talking about the one alert which you really care about. So that's one, low false positives. The second is internal visibility. This has been the number one business case for our customers. They're now able to see down into every little subnet in the organization, which they couldn't do before. The third is better use of your security resources. If you're able to cut back on how you monitor, you can use those people for various other aspects and you can actually use your security team and time more effectively. And the fourth business case, which I think is probably the most important is this is a technology that is agnostic to the threats of tomorrow. Most technologies are basically saying, hey, you know what? We've heard about this problem today. So we're putting this sort of roadblock in its way. Deception plays upon the human attacker, right? His motivations, his mindset. It doesn't care about his tools. So it stays effective no matter what the bad guy tries tomorrow. Right. So if, if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, that's what you want to look out for. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Okay. So, you know, tell me a bit about how honeypots have evolved as a technology in security over the years. Like I mentioned, Cliff Stoll was one of the first people to start using them. After that, there was a lot of academic interest in honeypots. You had the HoneyNet project and similar organizations which would use honeypots for academic research. Essentially, the honeypots were placed on the internet at large. They were attacked and we would try to understand the mind of the hacker through what we saw on the honeypots. That's well and good for academic research and statistical analysis of what's going on, but it doesn't give you a picture of what's happening behind the firewall, right? So there's been this recent shift. So if, if I had to define the timeline of honeypots, it was advent when it was considered, hey, this is a really effective solution. Then it was relegated to academia because everyone was focused on the perimeter. And now it's seeing a resurgence saying, hey, you know what? Honeypots behind the firewall are extremely accurate, high fidelity sensors, which give you more information than other systems do today. So that's the sort of uh, evolution that you've got. And I think the place it's going to slightly philosophically is over the next few years, you'll see more of a debate around hacking back. How far can you go? Today, the technology exists where you can do complete attribution. You can drop malicious code on the attacker system and geolocate him. Obviously, that's probably not within the ambit of law. Yeah, it's a legal gray area. But you'll see more and more organizations who are looking at at least somewhere on the spectrum of that capability to be able to do what we call active defense to actually control the narrative a little bit better. Okay. I think the fundamental shift here that is happening in the paradigm is that this entire philosophy of deception assumes that you have already breached. Yeah. Right. So do you think there's still some time before organizations reach that level of maturity or reach that kind of thinking? The smart money already is behind assume compromise as a concept. If you look at any organizations that you would consider thought leaders or practitioners who are thought leaders, they've all been saying this for a long time. It's just becoming the industry's mantra now. You know that you have compromise within the organization. Just the simple fact of plugging in a solution that looks at what, you know, malware callbacks are happening immediately shows you that, yes, there's compromise happening. I had a bank which had over 900 callbacks happening from their 40,000 plus user network, right? Every organization has some of this. The reason they were not worried before was commodity malware was ignored. Commodity compromise. If some guy gets some adware, we weren't so worried. What's happened is the ecosystem of cybercrime has changed. Those systems are now sold, rented out. That access is rented out to an apex attacker. So the guy who drops adware on a system, you're not worried about him, but he's selling access to your computer to somebody who you are worried about. Once that starts happening, this realization that everything from some
some stupid adware that the user got all the way up to full-blown APT attacks, the entire spectrum is now a threat. So I think today, if you assume, start with the assumption that you are compromised and you have some attackers in your network, I think the first wildcard is trying to figure out what the attacker's motivations are, and that's where you actually hit a wall. So how can these kind of technologies help in determining attacker motivation? How can, you know, delaying the attacker and try to get uh, an idea of their modus operandi, etc.? Can you just walk me through that? Sure. That's an excellent question. In fact, whenever you have a compromise, the first thing you want to do is to understand more about that breach in a contained environment so you can understand what possible impact could be. Decoys and deception technology lets you transplant the attacker from the area where he's compromised you into a virtual world. He's sitting in the matrix. We watch him sort of like a goldfish in a bowl. We understand his tactics, his techniques, what procedures he's using, and we understand his intent more importantly. This leads to more effective incident response, faster incident response, and a better understanding of who's targeting us. This is something that only decoys and deception can give you. Other solutions will focus focus on rapid containment, which is great. But just rebuilding the system doesn't tell you anything about who came in. You cut off one head of the Hydra, the guy's going to be back tomorrow. Until you understand what he's after and who he is, you're going to be facing the same problem. So if now, and this completely makes sense, right, to a practitioner that, you know, he's going to really stop boiling the ocean and look within and see what he can do to better protect himself. But how does a practitioner determine if he's ready to go for deception technologies or deception-driven defense? I think there's a sort of mini checklist that we have. The first is, are you an organization that believes you will be directly targeted? Not a bystander victim. You will be targeted by someone, right? So someone's got your number. That's one. The second is, do you have your basics in place? Have you already done some perimeter security? If you don't have a firewall, you don't have antivirus, then deception is probably a little way out for you, right? So if you've got your ABCs done and you know you're going to be targeted, the third question you should ask yourself is, do you know where your assets are? Do you do, say, an annual penetration test? Do you know or have some offensive thinking in the organization. If you have these three, then you're in a position to say, you know what, I know where my assets are. I have a vague idea of how I'm going to be attacked. Now I'm in a position to deploy deception appropriately because deception is not a tool. It's a strategy. It implies an understanding of your asset, your environment. So usually I would say organizations who are sort of 50% plus on the maturity scale can kind of look at this. I think at this point, it would be appropriate to differentiate between honeypots and deception. So what are the key differences? So the primary difference is a honeypot is usually a vulnerable system and it's usually external facing and it's designed to attract an attacker. If I were to tell an organization to deploy a vulnerable system externally and try to call attackers in, they would not be very pleased. The deception technologies, which is why they're called decoys, are usually not vulnerable systems. They can be if you want them to be, but usually they're not. They're a hard challenge. They're like a normal system. They're a clone of your regular system, right? They're secondly behind the firewall. They're internal sensors, right? They're digital tripwires in your house. And the third is they don't attract attackers. They sit passively on the network. They don't advertise themselves. If somebody is looking for them, which means if someone has malintent, then they get triggered. This is the difference between honeypots and decoys and deception technology. They come from the same space. They come from the same conceptual thinking, but they're implemented completely differently. One of the biggest challenges what we started with is catching the attacker in the kill chain. I mean, usually the free time that the attacker has in your network before they get detected is in the region of 250 to 300 days, right? And here you have the opportunity to really latch on the minute something like that is happening. What would you say if you were to uh, you know, encapsulate it in one single idea is the core philosophy? I would say mean time to know, which is the metric you track of how long the attacker is in your network before you actually find out what he's doing. You can bring with deception, you can bring mean time to know down from months to minutes. 
And that's possible only with deception because the second the guy is in your network at different levels of the kill chain, right from the reconnaissance before an attack, you can pick up on what's happening. So that's the, I think that's the core value proposition. If you reduce mean time to no, you reduce the dwell time the attacker has in the network, you, you're winning. That was great, Sahir. Thanks so much for speaking with us. Thanks again, Varun, for having us and really glad that you could talk. That was Sahir Hidayatullah, CEO and co-founder of Active Defense Pioneers, Smokescreen Technologies. So is deception a good fit for your organization and is your organization ready for it? Watch out for part two of this podcast interview with Sahir, where he speaks about the different open source tools and techniques and strategies that you can use to induct deception as one of the pillars of your defense. For ISMG in Asia, this is Varun Haran. Thanks for listening.